Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen of America, this is AJC Radio, where we seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight is no exception, as we deal with the failure to act by the Bureau of Prisons. And I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of things going on in federal prisons. State prisons are following suit, and the abuse behind the wall and what's happening in this country is heartbreaking. We deal with the issue in Brooklyn, where heat has been out. Uh, and actually, I'll tell you what, folks are freezing. You got inmates flashing SOS messages with flashlights bought on commissary and bidding on the windows to get the attention of those looking on. Folks, this is outrageous. The Bureau of Prisons, what are you doing? We call you in question tonight as we kick off Failure to Act by the BOP. Folks, hang on. We take off right now. There you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, and Sapson Riddle, the entire AJC radio team, Lisa Stewart as well. As we get ready, folks, to get into a conversation tonight that we really should not be having. As you talk about human beings being treated in a way that is inhumane, but what's worse, those that are set in position to oversee and to ensure that these things don't happen, remain silent. Do nothing, and we're going to deal with that. That's the Bureau of Prisons there in Washington, D.C. And, uh, again, we're going to get into this conversation. And uh, I'll tell you what, Samson, as we get ready to get into this one, uh, Governor Cuomo there in uh, New York uh, has stated uh, something needs to be happened. They've called for an an immediate investigation uh, by the Department of Justice dealing with this type of conduct. But this conduct is nothing new. We have seen it over and over again. We've talked about it over and over again. We talk about guards abusing inmates. We talk about sexual assault in prisons, in jails. This is a trend that is getting more and more out of control as those in position who have the ability to make something happen and to change simply will do nothing. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's pathetic that the leadership of the Bureau of Prisons can let inmates that are already in there, wrongfully convicted or not, they're in there serving their punishment. And now to treat them worse than you would treat a stray dog on the street? You want to talk about dehumanizing people, and then you're going to expect these folks, once they get out of, you know, after doing their stint, they're going to try and reintegrate into a society? Why would they want to be a part of a society that treats them like they're less than human? The people that are in charge, the people that know about this stuff are as culpable as any guard, anybody else that's down there because they're not taking action. The fact that, you know, yes, we have fellow citizens that are behind the wall. Okay, yeah, they're paying their debt to society, but that does not lower the value of their lives. The the sexual assaults, the, you know, gambling with 
Subway sandwiches or cookies and stuff like that to see which inmate's going to do what or are they going to kill themselves? It's absolute. It's an absolute atrocity. It's a it's an affront to us as a society. How can we call ourselves the greatest nation in the world when we treat each other this way? It's just unheard of. It's un it's unimaginable uh, that loved ones are suffering as you you are freezing to death. Uh, we're going to talk about some issues tonight with BOP, and I don't. You know what's sad about the Bureau of Prisons? Why are you not answering? What are you doing in a headquarters in Washington, D.C., if you simply will not do anything? What are you there for? And you always yield back to the institution. Well, we'll let the institution take care of it. Well, make a call to the institution. Why are you in place? Because where the institutions have failed, you are supposed to step in and do your job. You are to step in and say, we will not allow it. We're not only dealing with that abuse. We're dealing with the abuse right here in our backyard in Florence, Colorado, with the RP5 and those men being harassed, their families being harassed, actions being taken by a dictatorship warden down there who's doing whatever he wants to do. And I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about that tonight as well. Uh, this is something that is absolutely ridiculous, and uh, we're going to call people into account for it. Dennis, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, because it's getting ridiculous. And one thing that's good, though, is uh, I, I'll tell you, I'm so thankful for our social media and for shows like this. Uh, you know, you got to get out. People have to know what's going on. And, and when you were talking earlier about, you know, the, 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 the inmates freezing, you know, and they could care less. And then what was sad about it, you know, because of the protests on the outside of the prison, you know, they pepper spray family members. You know, it's just out of control. And something needs to be done. And, and what needs to be done first is to expose it, to make our citizens aware that they are treating these inmates like less than human. And then not only are they paying for it, but they're paying for it through, you know, uh, you know security guards that think they're, you know, they're, they're, they're God, they're above God, and, and somehow they need to actually you know add more to their you know what they're already doing you know and it's just ridiculous but if we keep on talking about it we keep exposing if we keep showing this in, inhumane uh you know these acts something's gonna happen but again like you said ma we got to make sure that our bop that our doj who's set up to oversee these prisons they got to get involved and they got to do what they need to do also Oh, that's the bottom line. And, uh, again, I believe the only reason power became restored is because of the pressure that was applied, not only by the governor, but also members of Congress uh, got involved. It says here that inmates uh, raised their fists inside the Brooklyn jail where they went without heat and electricity for a week. After more than a week without heat and power, conditions at the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn show signs of improvement on Sunday evening. Emergency generators were on, and heat had been restored to parts of the federal jail. But public officials and lawyers who toured the facility again Sunday told reporters not everyone had heat, and some inmates were going without their medication. Just before 7 p.m., Councilmember Brad Lander tweeted the power had been fully restored uh, at MDC. Lander told, stated that he had spoken to the warden, who also confirmed the power was running again. For the past week, many inmates have been on lockdown in cells without electricity or heat during days of that bitter cold. And this is what it states here. It is very apparent that there is a massive failure of caring here. 
a massive failure of proper supervision, a massive failure of planning. Represented Gerald Nadler, and he is also the chair uh, of the Judiciary Committee as well uh, for the House of Representatives. Uh, now, th- no wonder they were scrambling. You got the Judiciary, judiciary uh, Chairman uh, stating, what, you know, what's going on here? What asking these questions uh, and states here that the warden said that he thought the power would be, would be uh, restored in full by Monday. It was restored Sunday evening. Something about calling people out and making people do something. Those generators should have been on. Where were the generators the week of that bitter cold that swept this country? And last I looked, the number was over 13 people died from that bitter cold. And you got inmates sitting in cells with no heat where they felt moved to have to uh, send SOS messages with flashlights and bang on the windows yelling trying to get help because of that is absolutely unacceptable and why that is cliff when you look at that and you see members of congress saying look let's go down here and take a look you know what i wonder is is it just for the moment or do you go back to the abuse again cliff your thoughts well you gotta you know look at the the overshadowing issue you know you got you have to look at the administration and the people in place right now at the bureau of prisons we have an acting director, so he's not really running anything. He's just in place. You have, there is no deputy director. So we have the regional directors that are really not even getting um, any type of instruction from, from the people above them. It's like, well, what exactly do we do? You have your regional directors. There, who are they taking their uh, direction from? I mean, uh, Hugh Hurwitz, I think this lays at his feet. He's the acting director. What are you actually doing to allow a prison to go without power? And nothing happens until the judiciary in Congress, who has oversight, comes and says, hey, what are you guys doing? Then they turn the power on. Where is the leadership in the Bureau of Prisons that says, make this work? Power should not have been off. For any more than a couple hours at the most it takes as little as flipping a switch here's the backup power this this facility isn't something like oh well you know hey this, this is your uh corner convenience store and maybe they don't have a generator you're talking about a federal facility the generators are in place power goes out hit a button and it automatically comes back on i say that this lays at the feet of uh acting director Hurwitz either take the position and take the responsibility that comes with it or move along and let somebody come in and clean up the pile of crap that you guys have laid down in BOP. You're getting nothing done. Either do it or move aside. Quit taking a paycheck. No, absolutely right. And uh, we're going to get into that conversation. We're going to be joined by Mary Buser here at the top of the hour. Uh, She is actually an award-winning book, uh, uh, excuse me, award-winning author, Right, uh, on her latest book, Lockdown on Rikers, and Shocking Stories of Abuse and Injustice in New York's Notorious Jail, as well as our friend uh, who speaks to this very well, Kathy Morris, will be joining us again tonight as she chimes in on this conversation. The Bureau of Prisons letting the standard down and doing nothing. This is AJC Radio. We come right back. BOP, guilty of remaining silent. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that 
you and I experienced some of the same things with the big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work, and at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime that he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land. I stand for peace. I stand for diversity. I stand for dignity. I stand for respect. I stand for fairness. Red, yellow, black, white. We're all the same color. When you turn out the light. My dad, because he's my hero. When I was little, my dad was away a lot. But I was okay with that because he was doing this really important work driving ambulances in Iraq. Now he's at home, which is great for me because I get to see him every day now. And he's still the biggest hero I know because he tells all the ambulances and the fire engines where to go and rescue people when there's an emergency. I'm so proud of him. He's awesome. He's my dad. If your service-connected disability prevents you from continuing in your civilian career, Voc Rehab offers counseling, training with a living allowance, education, and other services to help prepare you for your next mission.
just sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. So gross. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt. We have the power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop. Take a moment and consider others before we speak. And before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight as we talk about the failure to act by the Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C. as really outrageous behaviors, inhumane actions, and misconduct by the employees of the Bureau of Prisons, whether they're prison guards, whether they're the wardens of these institutions. Uh, This is absolutely unacceptable, and the American people in this country should be crying out against uh, this type of behavior and the failure to act, as Cliff alluded to, that what are you doing up there in Washington uh, when you do nothing to respond uh, to the issues? We were talking about the issue in Brooklyn uh, regarding the inmates being without heat. Uh, State Chair of the NYCLU is calling on the Bureau of Prisons to allow family and legal visits immediately. The confrontation between the Bureau of Prisons and family members of people jailed at MDC highlights the desperate need to address the dangerous, inhumane, and unlawful conditions inside the facility. Executive Director Donna Lieberman said in a statement, this has gone on for, uh, for far too long. The BOP must act immediately to get the heat and lights back on, to restore family and legal visits, and resume programming within the facility. It is essential that the BOP ensure that no detainee be subjected to retaliation for peaceably protesting this inhumane treatment. And Samson, when you talk about that, this is good conversation. But what comes out of it? We, we, they've been, as she said, this is something that is going on, has gone on far too long. We, we've said it at the top of this show over and over again. Whether you're talking about the killing and the murder of Michael Anderson in Florence, Colorado, at the Florence prison camp down there, who was murdered, killed by what we believe and contend to be the staff members because he was in solitary confinement. There are no inmate interactions there uh, with other inmates when you're in the hole. The only people you're in contact with are these folks. And went as far as to offer funeral services and cremation services for the body of this man never happens. Uh, The BOP has never served as a funeral director or processor of, of the dead. But why here? Coroner states very clearly that to, to the mother of this young man, you need to get an attorney because your son did not die of a suicide situation as alleged by the institution. Uh, this is something with life and death, and still the BOP sits back and does nothing and will always defer you, well, contact the institution and see if you guys can work something out. Are you kidding me? We're talking about the death of a young man. And you're deferring me back to the prison in which he was killed? Unacceptable. Yeah, absolutely, Mont. I mean, 
like like Clint was saying, the acting director. I mean, he needs to either step up or step out. I mean, that that's just plain and simple. And the the Bureau of Prisons, they need to be like have like a third party investigation from the top down. I'm talking about the director, his deputy, the regionals, like everybody, because we we've been sitting here. I mean, for months, months just since I joined, talking about the different types of abuse and torture and mistreatment, everything that these people go through on a daily a daily basis, and yet the guards that are hiding behind the shield and these loopholes of regulations, these blatant lies, are getting away with, I mean, everything, like you said, from, you know, murder, rape, everything that would put them behind bars, they're getting away with it because this system is absolutely corrupt to the core. And unless something is done by... You know, someone with far more power than the director, there's never going to be a systemic change uh, w- within the prison system. And it's, it's just it's sad and it's utterly pathetic. Well, absolutely right. And uh, I'll tell you what, these are if it's happening at this institution, that's one institution. Mm-hmm. How many other institutions are suffering as a result of, of people simply not caring, people simply uh, you know, sitting this false uh, perception that, oh, if your inmate is locked up, if your family member, rather your loved one is locked up, they get three meals a day. They get med- medical care. They're taken care of. Their safety and security of the prison depends on it, that we offer a, a nice environment. That's not even feasible in a Hollywood movie. It just doesn't work. And that's not happening here. People are dying, and who knows how many people, again, during the freezing situation there in Brooklyn, they said medication. Folks didn't have their medication. That means diabetics didn't have their insulin. They can and will die. This is the seriousness of it. So when you sit back, I believe there should be congressional hearings. Something needs to happen. You just don't say, well, get, get the response from BOP. Well, we're doing everything we can. You failed at your job. That somebody spent a week in sub-degree temperatures freezing because you failed to do your job. And I'll tell you what, the only thing BOP had to do was pick up a phone and order them to do what they needed to do. How hard is that? To pick up a telephone and say, we will not tolerate this. We're not going to let you get away with it, Dennis. And, and you know what's a, a trip? I was looking at the, uh, uh, the, the the Federal Bureau of Prison mis- mission statement. It says the Federal Bureau of Prison protects society by confining offenders in the controlled environment of prisons and community-based facilities that are safe, humane, and appropriately secure and would provide work and other self-improvement opportunities to assist offenders in becoming law-abiding citizens. Is that not a joke or what? And then, I mean, when you look at it and, you know, if you go to the BOP about a space, I mean, the, the lies on here are phenomenal. This is what the BOP about us page says. Our agency was established in 1930 to provide more progressive, and, and, and get this, this is a joke, and humane care for federal inmates to professionalize the prison service and to ensure consistent and centralized administration of federal prisons. The, the, 
this is ridiculous. How do they even add humane? But you leave you leave the power off. You leave men in freezing cold and say, but uh, we're, we're providing a more humane environment. This is totally ridiculous. And again, you have now you have BOP, which has an acting director. So there's nobody running it, really. He's just kind of there getting a check, seeing what's going to happen with him. Then you have DOJ, who has oversight of BOP. There's no real director there. You have another acting director that he said, well, I'll see if I'm here tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. The fact that the administration is leaving all of these positions in limbo is the reason we have all these type of issues. The same thing happens with, uh, with, with DHS. The same thing has happened with departments of human services. There's nobody in place that's really running these places. So you have... All of the underlings, quote unquote, are just saying, hey, until uh, somebody tells me really what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm just going to collect the check from taxpayer dollars and get nothing done. This is a travesty. This is the fallout of the foolishness that's going on in Washington. It is not difficult to flip a switch to turn the electricity on. It's not like, oh, there are there are no generators, there's no electricity. Somebody turn it on. How difficult is that? And the rest of the abuses in BOP, again, you lay them at the feet of the director because they're letting wardens do whatever they want to do. They're saying, hey, we don't have any oversight, so nobody's really our boss. We do whatever we want to do. These are the type of things that have to be changed. There has to be an outcry, and Congress is going to have to kick in and say, Somebody needs to uh, get on board investigating, uh, you know, going out and and uh, reviewing and saying, hey, let's look at let's inspect these prisons and see what exactly is going on. And not because you want to get funding. So you tell them a month ahead of time, we're going to be coming on for an inspection, get everything all prim and proper so we can come uh, and give you a check off. No, go in. See what they're doing, catch them off guard, and find the real abuse that's going on in these prisons. And until that happens, none of this is going to change. There is no boss. There is really the people who work there, they don't see any reason to make a change to make anything better. That's why Congress has to use their oversight uh, authority and get in there and start filtering some of these fools out. And you can't provide humane care to inmates. If you don't believe them to be human, you can't do it. As long as you consider them less than human, there's no way you're going to be able to provide humane care. It's not going to happen. No, absolutely right. It says here that one inmate, Dino Sanchez, has only a short sleeve jumpsuit, T-shirt, and a single standard issue thin blanket to keep him warm, according to a court filing by his lawyer. Sanchez has asthma, which the code has really, uh, really – adds to the issue uh, and the labor as far as, far as his breathing. Uh, he fears collapsing in the dark without anyone noticing and coming to his aid. His lawyer in court uh, stated this in the filing. On Wednesday night, this is the week that all the temperatures were really bad in New York City, dropped to nearly 18 below zero. While you have these guys and this in a short sleeve jumpsuit, how is he supposed to survive that? And then you want to get upset when family members bring lawsuits against the Bureau of Prisons because you are culpable in the killing and the death of their son. 
when you allow this type of action to happen. And I think the problem we have is that no one is held accountable. That accountability must start in the Bureau of Prisons. It has to start there because you have the power. You are there to oversee all institutions and that they run according to the law and that everyone is given a fair treatment, fair humane conditions, humane conditions. I have yet to hear, Dennis, and you and Samson are both former military, I have yet to hear in a detained camp, uh, I forget the what's the, what's the detained facility uh, that they hold uh, different people dealing with war crimes. What is that? POW camps. They, well, even even in the in the POW okay. camps. You're talking about ones like Gitmo or Abu Ghraib, stuff like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I've never heard of them. I've never heard of them having a uh, yeah, heat problem. Outage. I've never heard them saying that they didn't have heat or food. Oh no! And even in that, like we've discussed before, you mis- you mistreat a detainee there. The the, the punishment there is quick and severe. Like not. Not too many years ago, they had that incident in Abu Ghraib where, you know, the, the, the security officers, they were mistreating the inmates. So these are guys that were trying to kill them probably the day before. Mistreated them, and they were all dishonorably discharged for mistreating an inmate. But here, stateside, we can mistreat our own people, and nothing happens to anybody, and there's no accountability. Cliff. Yeah, we have a caller, uh, Ken Barnes, one of the IRP5, who has firsthand experience uh, about uh, these issues that we're speaking about. Thanks for calling, Ken. You are live. Yeah, and I, I was just one that I had to call in as I'm listening to the show because what's happened in New York is not an isolated incident. They just got caught with their pants down. Now, I can tell you firsthand of uh, at, at how the BOP cares nothing about maintenance, or making sure that there's uh, humane conditions at all times. I mean, I could tell you at times where when I was uh, at the Florence facility, during the, this is middle of winter, a malfunction happens where the air condition cuts on, and there's no heat. And for three weeks, about two and a half weeks, three weeks, we were, had to live in a building with, with not just no heat, but the air condition blowing during winter. And it took them so long to fix it because they don't keep spare parts around because they're so worried about their budget to spend on what they want. They didn't care. So you had dudes, we're trying to open up doors to hallways because sometimes the one the, the air will cut off in one room and get warmer. And you're trying to do all the tricks you can to keep warm, trying to get extra blankets. They only give you two blankets. People sleeping in full sweats, hats, and coats. And, then, and when you complain, they do nothing. You just have to wait. And, and, I, and, I, and then you, I've talked to other inmates that came during Hurricane Harvey, who were in Houston, where during the hurricane, they locked all the inmates down. Well, when the flooding happened, that stopped water pressure in the prison. So they couldn't flush the toilet. They couldn't take a shower. So you're sitting in, a, you're sitting in your cell in your room with a flooded toilet for two weeks, and they have no contingency plan to move them to a safer location to try to – Stop any sort of disease, and just like New York, they couldn't get their medicine. There's no, there's no power electricity. This happens throughout the BOP, and it's, and it's, this is just an opportunity. The thing about the New York issue is, this, this opportunity is that they got caught. But this happens so many times, and and, I, and there's hurricanes in Miami where there's facilities and prisons where the same thing happens. They're they're stuck in their cell. There's no electricity, no plumbing, and they're there until the end of the hurricane. They're the last people they think about. 
when it comes to, hey, we need to check them, make sure that these lives, that these people are treated humanely and they're in safe and, and clean conditions. No, absolutely right. I've, I've, uh, yeah, go and ahead, and, and another, I've also had where we've also had it where it's like clockwork in in Florence. Every October, just almost like clockwork, up until February, there's no hot water. You would take a shower, and basically it's cold water just about for about four months. And every time you ask, okay, you you can fix this. They just they don't care. I, I mean, to, they, to to some of those people in, in the BOP. You're not a person, let alone a U.S. citizen. You're not a person. They just think that, hey, this is part of your punishment is we can treat you however you want, and we don't care. There's no consequences because the vast majority of the public, they don't, they don't think about that there's, when a hurricane happens, when it's wintertime, when there's, when there's power outages. They don't think about there's people in prison right now who are probably going through a little personal hell, and no one's giving them a second thought. No one's checking to see – how are you doing? I mean, are you is the maintenance upkeep? And I guarantee, and they never will hire a private company to come in and fix anything. They always try to be as cheap as possible. So I guarantee you in New York why it probably took so long to get things fixed, and they were probably trying to see if any inmates that, that happened to be in there had the technical skill to fix it themselves right. instead of hiring professionals to come in and fix it. No, oh, absolutely I mean, right. I just yeah. had to come because, yeah. No, go ahead, Kenneth. Yeah, I'll just, I just had to comment because it's, 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 I lived it, and I guarantee you there's probably prisons all over this country where they can tell you horror stories about how they just don't care. I mean, when things break down or, or they're trapped, it's like the last thing they think about is the inmate. You're just supposed to sit there and suffer and just go through hell while they just go home every night and come back the next morning. And the only time they really care about Fixing issues is if it affects, if it affects the prison guards. If if one of the people in their offices complain and say, "Hey, it's too hot in here, too cold," then they fix it. But if something happens, breaks, water main breaks, you don't have water, uh, there just it just takes forever to get things done. And I just had to comment on that. Hey, we appreciate that, Kendrick, for those right. thoughts. Take that, folks, as you want to take it. Uh, that's Kendrick Barnes, one of the RP five, uh, who went through a situation out there at Florence and. Uh, uh, I'll tell you what, talks from personal experience. Other side of the break, we're coming back with, with our uh, first guest tonight. Uh, you know her, Kathy Morris, will be joining us. Folks, this is, this is some serious stuff we're talking about. No hot water uh, for four months. That's right here in Florence, uh, prison camp. Let me say that again. Prison camp, uh, where these men endure this type of treatment, uh, and you wonder why tempers flare uh, in these in these institutions, uh, they are enabled by the misconduct and the failure to act by the Bureau of Prisons, known as BOP. Other side of the break, we're coming back. This discussion continues. AJC Radio talking tonight about Bureau of Prisons remaining silent in Washington D.C. and doing nothing. Make no mistake about it. We'll be right back. Say goodbye to affordability and say hello to losing control. Discover Price Gougesol, the latest outrageously expensive drug from Big Pharma. It's impossible to afford and reverses the ability to pay other bills. Because drug companies raise prices to pay for commercials like this one, side effects may include overdrawn bank accounts, bad credit scores, higher health care costs, 
children who don't get Christmas presents, and in some cases, the need to stop taking your medicine. If you experience any of these side effects, contact your financial advisor right away. Out-of-control drug costs are no joke. Yet nine of the 10 biggest pharma companies spend more on advertising than research and development. Let's solve the cost crisis now. Visit csrxp.org. Do you know anyone who's been sent to prison who's innocent? The United States is experiencing record numbers of exonerations in cases where people were wrongfully convicted of crimes they did not commit. If you believe that no one should be sent to prison for crimes they didn't commit, there is something that you can do today. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause at 855-529-4252 or visit a-justcause.com and click the donate button. A just cause is a 501c3. Wrongful convictions are wrong. Let's be the voice of those who can't speak from behind the wall. When does it stop being partly cloudy and start being partly sunny? Why is the word abbreviation so long? Are English muffins just muffins in England? Why is it called a washing line and not a drying line? Do fish get thirsty? If ghosts can walk through doors, why don't they fall through floors? Do you yawn when you sleep? If prunes are dried plums, how do they make prune juice? Why do doctors leave the room when you change? They're going to see you naked anyway. Do bald chefs wear hairnets? How much deeper would the ocean be if all the sponges were taken out? Do you believe someone who says they're a chronic liar? Why is sandwich bread square and sandwich meat round? Life's full of hard questions. Ask one more. You might just save a life. Odds of becoming an astronaut, 1 in 13,200,000. Odds of being struck by lightning, 1 in 576,000. Odds of dating a supermodel, 1 in 88,000. Odds of bowling a perfect game, 1 in 11,500. Odds of being trapped in an elevator, 1 in 24,528. Odds of catching a ball at a major league game, 1 in 563. Odds of an injury from shaving, 1 in 6,585. Odds of tripping while texting, 1 in 10. Odds of getting cancer in your lifetime, 1 in 2 men, 1 in 3 women. It's up to us to change the odds for our generation. For the ones we love. For our future. If you don't like the odds, stand up. Stand up to cancer.
Well, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio, where we seek to bring the message of justice all around the world. Tonight, we do the same as we call out those at the Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C., those that sit in regional offices across this country for the Bureau of Prisons that sit by and do nothing, regardless of how many complaints you file, how many things you say, look, this is not right. They continue to sit back and failure even to respond to complaints about conduct in these facilities. And it's time out for that as we look at the situation in Brooklyn and and federal prisons and institutions all over this country, uh, we have an issue. Right now we're going to be joined by our friend who has come on and chimed in on some very serious conversation with us. Tonight is no exception to that. We welcome back tonight Kathy Morse. Uh, and she is uh, a true champion and advocate, uh, in my opinion, and has been uh, very, very informative to this radio program. And, Kathy, we appreciate you taking time tonight uh, to join us on this issue uh, regarding BOP failure to act. How are you this night, uh, tonight? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? We're good. Thanks for joining us. And uh, as you've heard on this show tonight is BOP, we talk about the situation there in Brooklyn uh, folks are sending SOS messages with flashlights uh, purchased on Canteen, a commissary, if you will, trying to get a message uh, that something terribly wrong is going on inside that facility. Uh, and as we, uh, we've been discussing, the 18 below zero temperatures, uh, some of those nights when that bitter cold was sweeping this country. Give me your thoughts, Kathy, on this and the really the lack of accountability that has been dealt to the BOP in, in failing to act uh, in this situation. Well, it, yeah, it's it's the lack of accountability. It's the lack of transparency. Um, it was the repeated lies, the repeated misinformation that the BOP was feeding everybody, including the judges. Um, the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn has a history of deplorable conditions there have been numerous judges that have written gone and visited and written about it Uh, there are lawsuits about it yet nothing changes Um, and one has to ask well why well uh... Um, and to be honest with you you know the with the MDC for short in Brooklyn, you know, they were like, well, why didn't you call Con Edison in? Cause Con Edison is the, the, the local provider for the utilities and they, nobody could get a straight answer. And Con Edison did arrive on the scene on Sunday and partial power was restored. Um, but the warden and, and prison officials kept on saying that, oh, we have to wait for our contractors to come in, and they can't come in until Monday. And then there was some comments passed about, well, you know, we went almost two months without getting paid. So they brought that whole nonsense in about the government shutdown. Okay. So there was a lot of petty back and forth. But... um what was so heartbreaking was not only the flashlights and, and probably lighters and matches that they were, but the banging on the walls, mm-hmm. the exterior walls that if you stood outside, 
Brooklyn Detention Center, you could hear this. You could hear them pounding on the walls to get any type of attention. There were families that were gathered there. They were outside the facility because they they had no phone contact with any of their family members, and they had suspended visits. So there were family members who were there. They just wanted to know how their family member was doing, and they could get no answers. You had people in there who were being denied medical care, diabetics, people with asthma that were being denied medical care, people who couldn't renew their prescriptions because the computer system was down. But not only that, they had them locked in their cells for security reasons. And security reasons, what, that they're frozen to death? We don't no, the security <laughs> reasons being security reasons being that they had no if they a fight broke out, there would but, be no well, way that they could clear say clear say an open area and get everybody safely in their cells. Yeah, and and I, I'm Basic, with that. I'm basically, little, it's yeah. I mean I mean that's what I'm telling you. What the safety what they would say to you, but basically they just didn't want to deal with it. And it's line. easier to lock them in. It's the bottom line. It's easier to lock them in the, in their cells. The situation happened to me where we had burst pipes. I was in a New York State facility, and we had burst pipes, and the hallways were flooding with water. What did they do? They locked us in our cells. The water was pouring in under the doors. And we're locked in our cells with no way to get out. Okay? Well... And this That's is what they do. They, they're, yeah. they're totally, there is absolutely no respect for the value of human life. And that goes with, for every jail and prison in this country. That once you are detained or incarcerated, you, you are treated with, there's a complete loss of any respect for your for your life they don't care about you that's well, the bottom it, line they simply don't care no they don't care kathy and you say this happens in prisons all across the country listen to this story yeah. this is back in october last year a federal prison in california faces multiple investigations over dangerous conditions it says here the federal Con- correctional institution Menda- i guess it's mendata is drawing a lot of scrutiny over a lack of air conditioning and the presence of toxic mold. A federal prison complex home to roughly 880 inmates near Fresno, California, has endangered the health and safety of both inmates and staff through its neglect of basic facility services, triggering multiple federal investigations, whistleblowers told the Huffington Post. The federal correctional institution is being investigated by the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs and the United States Office of Special Counsel, according to Aaron McLaughlin, head of the prison staffers' local union. The House Judiciary Committee and the Justice Department's Office of Inspector General have also raised questions. All these inquiries have focused on two major issues, a broken air conditioning system during record-breaking heat wave that drove prisoners to wrap their heads in damp towels and toxic mold growth that allegedly led to respiratory illness among the prison staff. Mendata is not alone among prisons and struggling with these issues as climate change has led to hotter penitentiaries. There's a growing judicial consensus that inhumane temperatures constitute cruel and unusual punishment. 
or as David uh, a director of the National Prison Project of the American Civil Liberties Union, say it, put it, air conditioning is not a matter of comfort or luxury. It's a matter of life and death. There's no national standard for temperatures in prison cells and jails, and many don't have air conditioning. Although the Federal Bureau of Prisons Operations Manual states that its prisons should aim for 76 degrees Fahrenheit in the cooling season and 68 degrees Fahrenheit in the heating season, with acceptable variations of a few degrees. Meanwhile, mold incidents like that in Mendata have been on the rise as prison infrastructure has worn down them in a lack of funding for maintenance and repair. Uh, these are things that, do you understand what this says? Not only are we talking yeah. about in this, to this particular institution, no air, con- no air conditioning, so you have people wrapping their uh, heads in towels with mold uh, because that's, the mold is so outright, so people are not able to breathe. How do we sit back and allow that to happen? And then you've got the issues in Texas where you have ovens where these folks live, where people have died in basically human ovens with no air conditioning in Texas and have died as a result uh, of that situation. Go ahead, Susan. Well, yeah, I mean, go ahead, Kathy. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What's even worse is individuals who are taking certain um, psychotropic medications have to be in a climate-controlled environment. They can't be exposed to extreme heat. And what happened, and this happened when I was at Rikers, we had one period where the temperatures exceeded over 90 degrees for an extended period of time, and people were in their cells, they, and they were taking psychotropic medication. They literally boiled from the inside out and died. Wow. Okay. So, so somebody, yes. Yeah, go ahead. The, the issue of, of a climate control within correctional facilities has always been an issue. Um, you know, and people are like, well, you know, why should we allow them to be comfortable? It has nothing to do with keeping people comfortable. It has to do with human decency and treating people like humans. The hey, mold Kathy. issue goes on everywhere. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Samson. Yeah, Kathy, I think you're absolutely right. It's not a matter of being a, exactly like a creature comfort, but we're talking about like basic, basic livable conditions. You know, I'm sitting here looking at a part of an article where in Texas, Beeville, Texas, it got up to 98 degrees with the heat X feeling like 110. And a 36 year old man dies of an asthma attack. Basically, suffocates in his cell because of lack of human, you know, human decency and normal living conditions and then toxic mold. There are thousands of homes around the United States right now that are being condemned because of similar situations. There perfect example, I have family members down in Florida that were hit by the hurricane and there are there are literally probably 12,000 homes just in that area that if they had the same toxic mold growing in them the state just comes through and condemns them but yeah we're going to put our fellow citizens just because they're behind bars it's okay for them to have this this type of scenario going on or it's okay for them to freeze to death or it's okay for them to boil you know in their cells it's not right it's just like dennis said earlier it just comes down to 
quit trying to dehumanize these people. Well, the problem is, and this is our concern, all of these stories can go on and on and on about what's happening. Why is the Bureau of Prisons allowing it to be so? And if you're in position to oversee, what does that mean? That means I will not allow when people of these institutions decide to become dictator camps and inhumane concentration camps, whatever you want to call it, it is your job to say we will not allow it. That is why you have oversight. Members of Congress, we are, we are going to contact. Look into BOP's failure to act. That SIT has an office in Washington, D.C. and a title, but does nothing. Does nothing. And when you have this type of stuff happening, and it's their job to go in and say, you have the money to fix it. The taxpayer are paying, they're paying your salary. And the fact that the shutdown is even mentioned in Brooklyn. That's, well, we didn't get out there because the government. Sh- have you lost your mind? That's just that's ridiculous. To, to try and do that. It's, it's a cop-out. It's what it is. Like, like Cliff mentioned earlier, Mont, like, seriously, somebody needs to get, like you said, get, out of the, get off their high chair, high stool, whatever you want to call it. Get out the office. Use some of your travel budget. Go down there and just show up. Just show up with an inspection team and start just holding people's feet to the fire. Because the fact of the matter is, these guys up there, you know, with all their pomp and all their titles and everything, they're not going to do anything until somebody holds them accountable. And the action going on with the Hill, as far as holding, you know, talking to Congress, hey, look, you need to act. We have family members. We have friends. We have loved ones that are being put to these type of situations and scenarios, all, not just here in our backyard, but all across the country. Until that happens, you know, until somebody's held accountable, like, there's, there's not going to be any action. These wardens are, like you said, they're going to run their little mini kingdoms here at their individual prison camps or facilities, institutions, and nothing's going to happen. Well, the problem you have, they don't fear BOP because BOP does nothing. Right. Why would I worry about accountability when BOP is not going to do anything? So that, you know what? You say, hey, we're going to go to BOP in Washington. Go ahead. You want us to pay for the ticket? They might as well be saying that because there's not going to be any action. Right. There's not, and, and until Nadler, Congress, Congressman Nadler came down, and that's where we're going for answers. Capitol Hill. When Congressman well, Nadler came, up, go ahead, go ahead, Kathy. He came. He came down because that MDC Brooklyn is in his district. Right. That's why he showed up. But what it is is the judge needs to hold them in contempt. Needs to hold the Bureau of Prisons in contempt, and then impose fines for every day that they continue. Mm-hmm. Until the problem is rectified. And then they, what they need to do is go in and do spot check inspections, give them no advance notice, because we all know what happens when they're given advance notice. Exactly. And go in and, and and see to make sure that this stuff is done. What they did at MDC Brooklyn, they had women who should have been at Danbury Correctional Facility up in uh, Connecticut. While they were building a new facility, they moved them down into MDC Brooklyn, and they had them housed there, what they told them would be temporarily. It turned out to three years. 
a four-panel group of female judges, federal judges, went in and wrote a scathing report about the conditions that the women were subjected to, the lack of programming, the conditions in the facility, and everything else. Do you know yep. that those women were moved back to Danbury? Well, you know what? That seems to be, to me, uh, the, con- the continuing habit of, of uh, or pattern of abuse, if you will. Right now, Kathy, hold with us on the line. Uh, we have Kendrick Barnes, I believe, that, that has a comment. Is that correct? Yes, uh, Ken Barnes had another comment about this situation. Ken, you're live. Okay. Yeah, I just also wanted to uh, iterate uh, or comment on the fact that a lot of times when just say an inmate wants to report about the bad conditions maintenance-wise, uh, civil rights-wise, religious-wise, why this kind of discourages because a lot of times they'll retaliate on that inmate or, or his family. I mean, they will take visits away. If you say, hey, you know, we're up here freezing. Can somebody, you know, report this and send us up the chain? Well, they they will retaliate on that inmate in any way they can. They'll take that – just say he has a job in the facility that's pretty one of the prestige jobs in there. I mean, you're not really getting paid anything, but some of those guys don't have uh, any sort of outside income. So that job is their livelihood. I mean, they're only, but they're only getting like maybe 30 to 50 bucks. They'll take that job and move them. They'll, they'll uh, give them a shot or demerit in, in prison and basically uh, get, take their room. They'll, they'll take the, like if they have a room that they've been in for a while, they'll take them and put them in a room with three or four men in it. So a lot of times why you don't get a lot, you don't hear this in the public is because when someone tries to make an outcry, they know this is going to affect particularly their visits that they won't be able to see their family. They may take phone calls. They may take their access to email. I mean, so it, it's an epidemic to where it, you're, you're shutting the door and you're just making sure that they have full control. I mean, there has been times when we've even complained up to Washington, and I know you know about this too, where the wardens, even the complaint coming from Washington, they still ignore it. They, the, the local That warden feels like he's the little god of his little city. He feels, I don't need to follow what they tell me from the top down. So there is no due process or check and balance. And so when no one's watching, that inmate how, who told or raised the you know, flag up the pole, his, his, what freedom he has is in jeopardy. And that's also going to affect his family potential from business. So you put him in a straight where do I complain, but then I'm, I might penalize, get a penalty of my family and won't be able to come to see me when there's a visit. No, absolutely right. And uh, uh, speaking of that, Kenneth, thanks for your comment, and feel free to yeah. chime in more if you need to uh, on this conversation. Uh, and just talking to Cliff a moment ago regarding what they've done to Clint Stewart, uh, one of the RP5 here in Florence, Colorado, the Wharton down there um, has decided to play uh, dictator, if you will. This same Wharton. And uh, we're pulling his name. To pronounce his name is a little difficult. But him and a counselor, uh, Weish, uh, I guess they pronounce, and uh, I'm going to see if Cliff can get no, sign up to, to the pronunciation of that name uh, for me. Uh, but uh, he ended up actually uh, taking uh, and revoking my visitation uh, away from me uh, as a result of asking a question. Uh, we were in the visitation room. Uh, on, on one evening, and we ended up uh, uh, saying that Clint was actually targeted by Counselor Weiss, who, number one, doesn't work in the visitation room. Uh, he's a counselor. Uh, came in there, told Mr. Stewart he couldn't stand up, 
during his visit. Well, you have everybody standing up, stretching their legs. They're, you know, they're with their loved ones. They're going to the vending machines. They're doing all these things, normal, normal uh, protocol. He comes in and tells him, pulls him in the back and says, you're not allowed to stand during your visit. Uh, I, as an advocate, observing this, went to the front desk, asked to speak to Mr. Weish. Uh, Mr. Weish and, and myself stepped out. He asked me would I step out of the visitation room. We stepped out of the visitation room. I asked him, can you show me a, a, operation, a posted operational rule that says this man cannot stand to stretch his legs? I'm trying to figure out if there's some type of protocol here. He says, I'm not, I don't want to talk to you. I'm not going to tell you anything. I said to him, well, if you don't want to talk to me, we'll talk to Washington, D.C. Washington maybe can tell us what you're doing down there. He says, well, I'm not going to tell you nothing. I don't want your business card either. I said, that's fine. He said, you're welcome to go back to your visit. That was outside the visitation room. He comes back in about 10 minutes later looking like he's on the warpath. I didn't say nothing to him. There was no disruption in that visitation room of any kind. Uh, He went on later that week to tell and write a report that I caused this huge disruption in visitation and that I was using profanity and doing all these things, causing a problem within the visitation room. None of it happened. Not one thing happened. So we filed a complaint with the Bureau of Prisons. They contacted me back, said we're looking into the matter. Uh, I said, if you want proof of it, that the warden is lying, Counselor Weish is lying, but this is an act of retaliation for this program, for what we call out to be wrong at that facility. The questions, we have a right to ask a question. When a man is sitting there and needs to stretch his legs, I don't care if he's the IRP5 or if he's someone across the visitation room. You don't have the right to do that. And if you're doing it, can you tell me why as an advocate so we can protect the rights of these people in this visitation room? Uh, they have not responded. You know why? Because there's no tape to corroborate this story. Because it's a lie. We have Senator Bennett's office involved with it. Uh, they're sending complaints. We have Congressman Davis's office. We have other members of Congress on the Hill saying, look, we are going to look at this. My point is, now they've gone as far as to take another step with Clint Stewart, canceled his, took his commissary down to $25. Now, he, can't, he can't spend over $25. He can't use the telephone. They've restricted his email. This is outrageous. And then when we contact the Bureau of Prisons and say, what are you doing? You remain silent? You do nothing? That's unacceptable. It's unacceptable. And every person we have contacted, nobody wants to respond. And now the BOP has the audacity to ignore members of Congress in the United States Senate and say nothing? This is why they continue to do what they do. Because folks remain silent. We're going to take a quick break, folks. We're coming back. And Kathy, can you come back with us? Yes, I will stay on the line. All right, Kathy. We're going to be bringing Mary, I believe it's Buzer. Uh, She's a friend. I believe you know her, don't you? Yes, I do. She's great. All right. She's going to be coming back joining us. Folks, this is a conversation that we're having tonight that you can feel free to join in. Dial the number 646-200-0628. 646-200-0628. Get into the conversation, and we're going to be joined by Mary Buser. I'll tell you what, she's got something to say. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Over a million people are sitting in the prisons of America for nonviolent offenses. 
That's why I'm asking you to join the American Civil Liberties Union and help us in the fight to end mass incarceration. We spend over $80 billion a year incarcerating people. Alternatives to prison, like community service, drug treatment, and rehabilitation, costs less and can turn lives around. It's time for fear justice. It's time for smart justice. And we need your help. Let's just be honest. When we look across the street to the Supreme Court and we see equal justice under law, Um, When you have drug laws so severely, disparately enforced against some groups, let's let's take African-Americans, for example, there's no difference between black and white marijuana usage or marijuana sales, in fact. But blacks are about 3.7 times more likely to be arrested for it. Um, African-Americans are more likely to get uh, mandatory minimums are more likely about 13 to get 13% longer sentences. And it's created these jagged disparities in incarceration. In my state, blacks are about 13, 14% of the population. They make up over 60% of the prison population. And remember, the overall majority of people we arrest in America are nonviolent offenders. Now you've got this, this disparity in the arrest, but that creates disparities that painfully fall all along the system. When you get arrested uh, for possession with intent to sell, do it in inner city. Now you're within a school zone. So now you have faced an even higher mandatory minimum. Now you're 19 years old with a felony conviction, possession, and intent to sell in a school zone. Forget even all that. If you just have a felony conviction for possession, what do you face now? Thousands of collateral consequences that will dog you for the rest of your life. You can't get a Pell Grant. You can't get business licenses. You can't get a job. You're hungry, can't get food stamps. Uh, you need some place to live, you can't even get public housing. And what that does is created within our country concentrated areas where you have massive levels of men being incarcerated. You create a caste system in which people feel like there's no way out. And we're not doing anything as a society like we know we could do because there's tons of pilot programs that show if you help people when they are coming back from a nonviolent offense, that their recidivism rates go dramatically down. If you don't help them, what happens is left with limited options. Many people make a decision to go back into that world of of narcotics sales. Uh, uh, What's more dangerous to society? Someone smoking marijuana in the privacy of their own home or somebody going 30 miles over the speed limit, racing down a road in in a community? What is more dangerous to society? But yet that teenager who makes a mistake for doing things the last three presidents admitted to doing, now they have a felony conviction because it's more likely they're going to get caught. And for the rest of their life, They're 29, 39, 49, 59. They're still paying for a mistake they made as a teenager. Now, that's not the kind of society uh, that I believe in, nor is it fiscally responsible. It's undermining their productivity, undermining their ability to take care of their family. This is so wrong that those conversations that I'm having with conservatives as well as uh, Democrats uh, are resonating. And so when you have people like Rand Paul standing up and talking about racial disparities in incarceration. This convergence and understanding uh, of fiscal conservatives, of Christian conservatives, of libertarians, 
shows me that this is a time of great hope for our country. And so I'm not going to question people's motives. This is one of those issues like the civil rights movement in the 1960s, where it should pull all Americans together to say enough is enough. Welcome back. This is AJC Radio, where we bring the message of justice all around the world. And tonight, folks, this is a troubling topic. We're talking about the failure to act by the Bureau of Prisons in Washington, D.C., and any regional office connected uh, to that location uh, continues to remain silent on the sidelines as lives remain at risk in federal prisons and institutions across this country. And uh, joining us, Kathy Morris has been in this conversation. Kathy, thanks for uh, coming back with us. We appreciate you for being here uh, and giving your perspective. Uh, and uh, Right now, we're going to bring on Mary Buser. Uh, she is an author uh, of a book called Lockdown on Rikers. Uh, we're going to actually get her perspective uh, on this issue. And uh, uh, Mary, thanks for joining us tonight. Can you, are you with us? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Thank you for having me. And thank you for joining, uh, joining us. I believe you know Kathy. She's yes, on the line with me. And uh, you guys can do your introductions or say hello, however you want to do it. Uh, <laughs> we appreciate you guys both joining us. How do Hi, you Mary. <laughs> hello, Kathy. Um, yeah, well, my name is Mary Buser, and I wrote a book called Lockdown on Rikers, which is based on the five years that I spent working in the Rikers Island Mental Health Department. And uh, I started off on Rikers as an idealistic intern who wanted to help people. And I uh, worked my way up, became an assistant chief of mental health. And uh, when I left, I was the um, acting chief in charge of the 500-cell solitary confinement unit. And um, although I started off very idealistically as time wore on and I, I started to become much more aware of our justice system, our, quote, justice system, and um, uh, I could not really ignore um, the role it played and the reasons that people were behind bars. And as I became aware of the brutality, the horror of solitary confinement, I knew that when I left Rikers Island, uh, I couldn't leave it behind me. And I had to write this book um, about my experience on Rikers. So I've seen quite a bit, and I've been very active since I left advocating um, for the incarcerated, especially for those with mental illness and people in solitary confinement. So, yeah. Thank you for your work work and all that you do. Uh, Let me ask you a question. I don't know how much of the show you've heard thus far. Uh, Mm -hmm. As we've been talking about accountability, we were discussing the issue there in Brooklyn uh, with the freezing temperatures. uh, And we're talking tonight uh, not only about the abuse, of course, that's happening, uh, but the failure for the Bureau of Prisons. Of yeah. not to speak out. I mean, leadership is leadership. Give me your thoughts, Mary, on that perspective. What is your thought on why the BOP sits back and does nothing when they're in a position to actually lead out by example of what to do as far as the right thing? You know, that's <laughs> that's the million dollar question. You know, is it so hard to to treat people humanely? Um, I don't think so. 
but there is tremendous resistance. Um, uh, I saw it on Rikers Island. I saw such apathy there when you had houses, housing units that were freezing uh, or very badly overheated in the summertime. The only thing that they were very responsive, Johnny on the spot, to would be uh, broken locks, anything like that, anything to do with security. They were all over it. Other than that, um, uh, they didn't care. It was just uh, just amazing to me. Um, I, I don't understand it. I personally think that they are very resistant to any type of what they consider meddling. They're certainly furious at the uh, the the community uh, demand and the way that people surrounded that jail. Uh, it's a real um, push pull, and. Um, it's very hard to fathom the inhumanity of, of their behavior. But they're going to be forced. <laughs> I think they're going to be – I think what we saw in Brooklyn is, is we're going to see more of this. They're going to be forced to, to, change, their, to change the script, I believe. Well, the outcry uh, of the community, people look – and this is what is just alarming to me. How in the world are you offended because family members are protesting and asking for answers? What are you furious about? These are people's families that have every right to know how their loved ones are being treated. Of course. I don't understand that. Kathy, chime in on that one for me. There, there just is no – I can't make sense of it. Um, I can't, you know. Yeah. I wish I could answer it. It's <laughs> There's an arrogance. There's a uh, this is our house. That was the big one uh, uh, when I was on Rikers. Uh, we were always reminded as civilian healthcare workers, civilians, you are a guest in our house, and they they yeah. take that attitude to the nth degree. This is our house, and nobody tells us what goes on in our house, and that's the mindset. And um, you know, it's not – at the end, we were very angry. This is not your house. This is the taxpayer's building, exactly. not yours. You know, when what? we started getting nervier at the end. Sure. But yes, that is and something that anybody will t- – that's a constant thing that they say to you. This is our house. You follow our rules. Right. No, and that's, that's and don't rock made. the boat. Oh, no. Right. <laughs> so just, just abuse people. Let us kill people and just leave us alone in our, in our little world. I want to play a clip really quick for you. I want to get your thoughts on it. Guards watch and laugh as a mentally ill inmate dies. Yeah. Let's play the clip. Uh. A man named Christopher Lopez died in a Colorado prison called the San Carlos Correctional Facility. And he died because the guards didn't really care enough to get him medical help when he clearly needed it. So I'm going to show you a small clip here. This is from just before his death. Warning, this is hard to watch. Look at this. 
of the guards, they were laughing. They were having a casual discussion, nonchalant, back and forth. You hear them laughing, joking about whatever. Uh, There was like a 45-minute clip slash almost a documentary made by these uh, prison guard officers, these officials. And they were discussing how, oh, this guy has had so many behavioral problems and so many issues and this and that. Now, would you like to know the reality of it, which is why this is beyond frustrating. This is this flat out is unacceptable in the United States of America. This guy was a schizophrenic. He's a schizophrenic and he died from something 100% preventable. He died because of a sodium deficiency from the psychotropic drugs that he was on to deal with his schizophrenia. So in other words, if it wasn't for the gross, over-the-top negligence of the people who were supposed to be doing their job, this guy would still be alive. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Now, some people would fire back and say, hey, it might be a boy who cried wolf situation where this guy was causing problems before and he faked things before. Therefore, uh, they thought he was faking again, so they reacted how they reacted. I don't give a I don't give a shit because the whole idea of criminal justice in a civilized country is supposed to be that we are above them. We are above them in the sense that we're not going to stoop down to the same level of morality and ethics as they possibly would be if they ran the prison. So you still get your medication if you need your medication. You still get medical care if we think even for a split second that you need medical care. This is 100% unacceptable. They didn't even have a first aid kit. They didn't even have some water there next to him to try to help him out, to talk to him, to say what's going on here, what exactly is wrong. They just had him on the ground, heavy labored breathing for 30 minutes plus, and then he died. I don't know how many times I've made this point on air, but I want to make it again because I think it's very, very important and it's overlooked. At some point when we do stories like this and when we have a situation like this after situation like this, what the guards need to understand is that at some point, you become the criminal. You become the bad guy. Because I was reading about this earlier. Uh, Criminally negligent manslaughter. Involuntary manslaughter. That's what they did there. They're uh, liable for that. They should. Some of them were fired. I think three of them were fired. Five of them faced some disciplinary action. But uh, as far as I know, none of them are brought up uh, on are going to trial, and I doubt that any of them would be convicted. But see, that's the problem. The problem is there's no accountability for them because they put themselves uh, 
morally above the law. They say we're above the law because we are the law. Oh, there you have it. Terrific. Gentleman dies alone on his cell floor as guards watch and laugh. Um, Mary, your thoughts? Well, it it shows utterly depraved behavior on the parts of the guards. Um, What's especially disturbing is that those guards had to have known that there are cameras there, and even that did not deter them. That's I find that very shocking that they don't even they they think they're just bulletproof. They can do whatever the heck they want to do, and they have reason to believe that they can because they they don't seem to face a lot of consequences for their behavior. Um, you know, a couple of them were fired. Uh, that's really not much considering the horrible way that this poor man died. Um, but I hate to say this, but this is not unique to uh, San Carlos in uh, Colorado. Um, you know, the more that we learn, the more we're involved in this whole issue of mass incarceration, it's everywhere. It's just everywhere. People people um, dying behind bars in terrible ways and the complete apathy of their of of the keepers. And, you know, I think what we really saw this weekend in Brooklyn was for the first time a connection with the community. It's, I think we need transparency uh, for outrage, a reality check for the people who are, who are managing these places that, Hey, you know, this is not okay. There's not a different set of standards inside as outside. No, absolutely. Right. Uh, Mary, uh, Kathy, you want to chime on that? I agree with Mary on that. Um, the what happened in Brooklyn showed that the community has said enough is enough. Yeah. Um, and that we have to be the voice for those who cannot be heard. Yeah. No, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a shame because what you saw in Brooklyn, it was it was horrible what was happening, but it was wonderful the response to it, and it's very I think it's very hopeful um, for the rest of the country uh, what happened here. But I don't know if it could have happened except for the location, the proximity that people could get to that facility and surround it mm-hmm. you couldn't get out to Rikers Island uh, uh, you know that's and or places that are remotely uh, situated um, yeah. you know in rural areas um, and my heart goes out to the people inside those facilities you know who can't get the kind of response that these people did over mm-hmm. the weekend no true that's a true point point. and Kathy you were talking about uh, mold uh, being a serious problem in jails and prisons uh, says there's no proper cleaning supplies. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Um, there is it's 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 um it's an environmental hazard. Um, a lot of it has to do with um, the upkeep and lack of maintenance in the buildings, and you are going to have leaking pipes, and you're going to have waters it's going to leak from rain or whatever and the water will accumulate and you're going to have mold you're you have mold in the showers 
I mean, people at home have mold in their showers. But at least at home you have bleach that you can use to clean it. Bleach is forbidden in prisons and jails because it's considered a weapon. I'm sorry? So if you don't... Bleach is considered a weapon in prisons and jails. So therefore, they don't have it. Um... You might be able to get it if you're lucky, if you have to clean up a biohazard, which would be blood spill, but rarely is it available. Um, So what are you supposed to clean mold with? Bleach is the only thing that kills mold. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what are you supposed to clean it with? (laughs) You know, well... A, a, a degreaser, okay. So, so it just conti- it perpetuates, and it just makes it worse, um, and it's not going to go away. This is what is mind-boggling, Samson. I want you to chime in on this one. If there are homes condemned because of conditions that says. This place cannot be inhabited. You can't inhabit this place because it is, it is life-threatening, and it can kill you. They condemn it. They should have You can't even move in here. Right. Can you explain to me, and Kathy and uh, Mary, I'm going to get your thought. Mm-hmm. How do we allow, not one person, hundreds of people, thousands in some penitentiaries, to be exposed to that risk and just walk around our society like it's okay. Yeah. It's a death trap. Well, Mom, we've, we've talked about it a lot during the show uh, tonight about how there's just, there is no oversight. There is no true accountability for any of these wardens, any of these regional managers, whatever you want to call them. Like nobody there. There's no threat of punishment. There's no fear. There's nothing. You can tell by the brazen acts that these guys do, you know, outside of exposing, you know, the inmates to mold, the other things they put them through, you know, like we've already mentioned the cold. We've already mentioned the heat. We've already mentioned, you know, the, the, the poor food and medical conditions and everything else they have these guys have to go through is because they, they have no fear of retribution. They're not held to the same standard of the law. They're not held to any standard as far as treatment of these individuals, and they're not even afraid. I mean, okay, yeah, a few people might lose their job here and there or even get like some type of probably minor administrative action taken against them. But, I mean, you're talking about people have to die for something to happen? Like, no. Uh, I believe it was um, Mary that said earlier, there's a line where you go from being – a guard, so now you're a criminal. Yeah. You are being negligent in your duties. You're being negligent in the treatment of another human being. And you're essentially, you're a murderer. You're a murderer by proxy because you didn't give them either the, the resources, the medication, the anything, whatever, that they need in order to be able to survive. And the mold, the mold's just one thing, especially, you know, I think it was Kathy has said, you know, bleach is a weapon. Really? Really? Behind the walls, it could be a controlled... It, I guarantee it, it is controlled 
probably down to the jug or the ounce of how much these people can use. So why is it that they can't at least supervise? The guards ain't doing nothing else. They're not taking care of these guys and women behind the wall. They're not doing that. So set one up, let them watch them spray the mold. If they don't want to get their hands dirty and do it themselves, at least facilitate these guys so they can live without getting out and, let, yeah. Let's comment on the fact that, and, and this is a joke, uh, bleach is a weapon, but we'll give you a mop handle and a stick to, to shake someone. That's a weapon. Yeah. So <laughs> we, we are concerned about you with the bleach, but we'll let you get shanked to death with a mop hole. Are you kidding me? So yeah. the risk and anything's a weapon in the penitentiary. Yeah. Doesn't matter. A toothbrush is a weapon. Let's not give toothbrushes out. Let's not give plastic spoons out that can be sharpened to a knife. But we won't give you bleach to keep clean mold out of the showers. Are you kidding me? The justification and the nonsense of reasoning that these folks have is absolutely is absolutely over the top for me. Yeah. Mary, your thoughts on that? I don't think there is much reasoning. Uh, anything that seems reasonable, I, it was shocking to me working on Rikers, the ridiculous, ridiculous rules uh, that they had in place. Um, it, it was just the ultimate um, bureaucracy of no one thinking. Just these rules. Um, it's, it's a world unto itself. It really is, and it, it really needs to get more aligned with the real world because uh, it's just gone off the deep end. Um, but I just want to comment on the mold that uh, Kathy mentioned. You know, um, when I was an assistant chief on Rikers Island of mental health, my first post was um, the what's called the Mental Health Center for the Most Seriously Mentally Ill, 350 beds. And on my first day getting a tour, we had seven housing units, and they all seemed, you know, adequate, whatever. And then they told me we were going to the one for the most seriously mentally ill, which was a long walk. We had to walk through forever. It was called C95, a very big jail. Got to the end, and it just seemed like we were getting into a dungeon area. And we opened the door, and where the most seriously mentally ill people who were just languishing in their cells, um, the walls covered in mold, mildew, dripping on the walls, the swaths of, of paint hanging over our heads. I said, oh, my God, this is something from a, you know, from, from a horror story, from a Stephen King medieval whatever. Um, but this is where you would have the people who were least capable to fend for themselves where they were stuck, where so the most vulnerable people were placed. And it was a tragedy, an absolute tragedy, to see how we – manage our most vulnerable people and um it was a shock to step in there that's uncomprehendable um how it was how is this legal how is this (laughs) i don't i do not understand I love your outrage. It's so appropriate. <laughs> it's just one of those things that you sit back and think, how do you go home and unlock your front door and say prayer over your meal after after allowing this at your facility? How does the BOP director, acting director, sleep at night? How do you do it? You just go home and with their families and have dinner and feel like we're just doing a good thing. This is my employment. This is my career. 
Mm-hmm. It's beyond that. These are lives of people you are responsible for as the director of the Bureau of Prisons. And you do nothing. You but do here's, nothing. The th- here's the thing. They don't regard the incarcerated as people. That I learned on my very first day at Rikers in the receiving room where they were counting. I've got nine bodies here, 11 bodies there. And that was my first day where I was shocked and, and said to my supervisor, how are they calling these people bodies? But that's, that is the terminology. The moment you step in there, you are a body, you are a number, you are a property. And once you start the dehumanizing that process, um, which starts right at the beginning, well, it's, it's, it, it's a game changer in terms of how you relate to these people. It's as though they are not really people. And I think that's the first first thing that needs to change, how people are addressed. It's a stripping and, of dignity, and they're not really people. And that's why they have no feeling for people beating on the walls of a prison cell, begging for help, flashlights. You know, I'll yeah. share this with you. Then we're going to go to break, and then we're going to come back, uh, Mary and Kathy, and we're going to get your closing thoughts, of course, to this topic. Uh we're just getting started. It is so much going on out here, but we have an obligation as an advocacy organization to call out this type of behavior. This is something that, again, true advocates take whatever they do. They take it home at night. I don't just go, well, let's just turn it off at 5 o'clock. We'll be back the next – it doesn't work that way because as you sleep in your bed at night, Somebody's dying in this country in a prison cell, in a, in, a, in a county jail cell. Somebody is being mistreated. Somebody is being abused at the hand of what they call justice. And it's not justice. And I'll tell you this. I was, I was wrongfully convicted in the state of Colorado. And I will never forget this experience. And then we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to come back and get your thoughts. And I was in the hole uh, wrongfully at that time. And I remember sitting on my bunk in that in that in that uh, in the hole, and I heard this commotion going on, where people were coming in, and they were in their suits and their ties, and the, the ladies had their dresses and their purses and their designer shoes, whatever, and they're coming through, and they have their clipboards, and they came, they were just walking by, so I, I'm sitting up there, what is going on here? And I'm sitting on my bunk, and about six people or outside my door. And they're pointing at me like I, they're pointing at me as if I'm at the zoo. What is that? And they're taking notes of some type of data of me. And I, for the first time in my life, I was so stunned. I swear you thought I was an animal in a cage. And they were studying the scientific truths of me in solitary confinement. I never forgot that experience, and I felt so nothing that this is what you guys think. And, and, and they were like, and then the guy comes by, and he says, well, they get a chance to go outdoors. They get a chance to get a little bit of exercise. No, you don't. We go outdoors to a cage. Like you're a puppy farm. Exactly right. And when I experienced that, that was a, I'm one person in one cell, 
This is why you walk by a cell and you find someone hanging from a bunk. This is why. Because the humanity has been removed. So to that person who sits there and says, this is my life, I have no reason to continue. They sound comical. But it's deadly. What are we going to do about it? And when do we bring the human spirit back to justice? We've lost it. I'm going to get your thoughts, Mary and Kathy, on the other side of the break. We'll get your closing thoughts. Ladies and gentlemen, AJC Radio, the abuse behind the wall, the abuse in prisons, the failure to act, and the disregard for human life by the Bureau of Prisons. And our director, acting director there, Cliff, his name uh, at the Bureau of Prisons. His name is Hurwitz. You should be ashamed of yourself. We will call you to be held accountable for your failure to act. This is AJC Radio. We'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, can I ask you a question? Did you know that there are over 2.4 million people behind bars in the United States? I'll ask you one more question. Were you aware that that is the highest number of people behind bars in the entire world? The United States makes up of only 5% of the world's population, but we have over 25% of the world's prison population. America prides itself on being the most advanced and progressive nation on earth. However, sadly, we are also the world's most archaic. I'm going to give you a personal invitation to get involved with the fight against mass incarceration. Take a few moments to call 1-855-529-4252 That is a just cause, and we fight for justice. Again, call a just cause today. Don't delay. Call 1-855-529-4252. It is time, and I say high time, that we take America's incarceration seriously. Won't you join us? Call today. The United States of America incarcerates more people than any other country in the world. In fact, the U.S. hosts more prison inmates than all other developed nations combined. As of 2010, the world population was over 6.8 billion people, with an estimated 9.8 million in jail. This figure, compiled by the International Center for Prison Studies, refers both to individuals held in jail awaiting trials and inmates serving time after sentencing. So there are 9.8 million human beings on planet Earth living inside of cages that we know of. In 2010, the U.S. was home to about 309 million people, 4.5% of the world's total population, but housed 23% of the world's prisoners. So take a moment to think about what this means. It means we imprison more people than enormous autocratic countries like China. We imprison more people than Russia. Compared to the size of our population, our rate of imprisonment dwarfs our closest allies, like the United Kingdom, France, and Canada. 
as of 2010, there were over 1.6 million post-trial inmates serving sentences in America's state and federal facilities. This number does not include those being detained pre-trial or those on probation. The most unique feature of incarceration in America is the large and active role of our federal government. In most countries, crime is reacted to at the local or regional level, whereas the American government finances and legislates a significant portion of law enforcement at the national level. State governments still do their fair share of incarceration, though. California and Texas incarcerate more than other states with over 171,000 inmates each. Florida is a close third with over 103,000 prisoners. But no single state locks up more people than the federal government with over 208,000 inmates. Perhaps the nickname Land of the Free, Home of the Brave, should be updated. Though I suppose you need to be brave to endure the highest likelihood of incarceration the world has ever known. Prisons are not what we think about when we think of America, and they shouldn't have to be. A free nation shouldn't imprison so many people, and a fiscally responsible nation can't afford to. With close to $40 billion a year in state correctional spending, the financial costs are obvious and staggering alone. But the human costs are often underappreciated. 1.6 million fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of American families are incarcerated. It's time for people to realize that the criminal justice system in America is desperately in need of reform.
is LJC Radio. Clip you just heard was the senseless death of this young man pleading for his life where the guards killed this man. He stated that he could not breathe, that he had pneumonia. They slammed him on the ground. took his life and he's begging them please saying I'm sorry because he's not in control and he can't stop the madness this is a nightmare no one calls out guards no one calls out the conduct and they let a man die and he is one of many And this has happened not only in federal, but in state institutions, jails, prisons, because the culture is set from the top down that this is something that is okay. We have a serious problem. Kathy, your thoughts on that? Um, I think... We do have a serious problem. Yes, we do. And I think the best way that we can address the problem is to get the community to educate themselves and become aware of what's going on. Um, I, as Mary said, I, we saw that in Brooklyn this, this weekend. Um, and, and as you, she also said, maybe it's because of the, the central location of Brooklyn and, and how easy it was for people to get to. Um, but the best thing that we can do is we can continue to talk and make people aware of what's going on. Yes. Mary? Yeah. Well, I've got to say that clip we listened to just about had me in tears, and I didn't realize that he died. I just hoped that, you know, he just moved along, and then you told us that he was killed. And, uh, you know, it just, 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 uh, I don't know. It's just so, so, so deeply upsetting. There are no words. Um, you know, and he's not the only one, and hopefully let him, may he rest in peace. Um, uh, when, I was, when I wrote my book and I was trying to get it published, it took me years because no one believed that there was a problem at Rikers Island. This is before all the outpouring of publicity that we see now. And, um, you know, I felt like this lone voice. <laughs> and so this is by way of saying, you know, trying to look at the some things more hopefully. Look how far we've come. Um, the whistle has been blown. People are engaged. People are interested. Like, you know, I saw the before and after. And, you know, what we saw in Brooklyn over the weekend was just so uh, so encouraging and hopeful. And I think we've got a big groundswell uh, for change of our criminal justice system. And we just, as Kathy said, we got to keep it going. We have to educate people. When people understand, when they get it, they can't unget it anymore. And um, we just have to keep doing your the program you're doing, the work that Kathy and I are doing. We've got to keep it going. We've got to oh, keep absolutely. it going. And Mary, yeah. we are honored to have you and Kathy on tonight. Please know, we're dealing with uh, this topic, I'm sure we're going to be doing 
uh, more of this uh, in the weeks to come. Please feel free to always know that you have a voice here. We enjoy your conversation, your perspective that you bring to the conversation. Uh, you're always welcome here on this program, and we give, we leave that invitation open at all times. Uh, and, uh, Mary, where can folks get your book? Uh, we need to go out and take a look and get that right away. It sounds like an interesting read. Please tell the folks how they can get it. Sure, sure. You can get it on Amazon very easily. Um, you can get it probably through Barnes & Noble. I don't think it's in the bookstores anymore, but you can order it that way. But probably the cheapest would be on Amazon. And it's uh, Locked Down on Rikers. And, okay. again, it's a very personal story. Voices of people come through and what they're struggling with it on Rikers Island. Okay. And I, I want to definitely invite you to come back. I'd like to, I'm going to actually get this book and read it. I want to invite you, you back on so we can discuss it. I think I believe those stories are necessary to be told. So uh, please, uh, you know, we're going to invite you back on for that. If you if you'll be our guest again, we'd appreciate that. Thank you. I would be honored to be. Okay, Kathy. And there are some things going on in your world. Uh, can you tell the folks how they can get involved with you? Uh, get get you know part of what you're doing out there in in your work, uh, Kathy. Please go ahead. Um, I'm trying to raise awareness of the. Um, of women who are incarcerated and detained um, that although the numbers across the country of individuals incarcerated and detained is dropping, the number of women is increasing. And over 60% of those women are the primary caretakers of their children at home under the age of 16. And when we remove the mothers from the house, what happens to their children? Uh, that's one of, right that's one of the things that i i'm really focused on the other thing is the sexual assault of women behind bars okay and we we, we um, haven't had an exclusive show on that kathy but we we i don't have an mm-hmm. issue with that i know on the 31st you were at monroe college is that correct yes i was um last week you were there yes okay and everything went successful there it sounds Yes, it was. Um, unfortunately, we didn't we didn't get to focus as much on women's issues as I would have liked, but sure. we are in discussions to have other panels there where we will focus solely on women. Okay, and what um, we want to do? So I'm very encouraged with that. I'm sorry, Kathy. I didn't mean to interrupt you. What we're going to do? I'd no, like so to I'm, I'm very encouraged by that as well. Yeah. No, and I want to definitely come back. I want to bring you back on. We need to discuss, because I think the women are lost in the current. Uh, and, and when we talk about wrongful convictions or incarceration or abuse, many times the women institutions are lost in the, in the discussion. We don't ever want that to happen because they are important. They're our mothers. They're our sisters. They're our, they're our aunts. They're our grandmas. Let's not forget the women who are suffering uh, behind the wall. I think we'll do a special show on that and invite you back to discuss what you have lived and seen, along with Mary as well. Uh, with the women that suffer yes. these types of abuses, okay? Um, thank you guys uh, for joining us. Uh, thank you. It. Thank you. Uh, definitely uh, our thoughts are with you as we continue to work together as a team and as a unit to bring the message of justice all around the world. You guys have a good night. Good night. Good night. Take care. Okay, and there you have it, folks. Uh, really some fascinating young women that are out here really doing some things. Uh, uh, Samson seemed connected. 
uh, to the pain that's out here. That's critically important. Your closing thoughts really quick before we go. Uh, just really quick, just to reiterate, you know, we have to get some accountability here. We have to get, you know, some change coming from the top down. We have to keep making our voices heard and not give up the fight because, you know, it's not going to change if we don't keep pushing forward. Cliff? Yeah, we just want to make sure that what happened um, you know, last week and over the weekend in New York is not something that just uh, flies in the wind because they have their power back on, because they have heat. We need to keep the awareness, um, you know, up and running. Keep it alive. Uh, let your member of Congress know that you do not appreciate the way that things happen there and that you know that there's other uh, facilities that have those same type of problems and even worse. Like Kim Barnes came on and said that the reason that they, uh, that that situation got eradicated is because it was told because there was a, uh, outcry, but for those, uh, places that, that no one's seeing, we still need to make the outcry for those and, uh, get the, uh, get the, uh, knowledge out there. Let your member of Congress know that you you understand that there's abuse going on in, in prisons and you want it to stop. All right, there you have it. We are out of time up against the clock, folks. Join us next time for myself, Cliff Stewart, Dennis Merritt, Samson Riddle, and the entire ADC Radio team. We say good night and continue to search for justice. This is ADC Radio. Good night. I've been was diagnosed with manic depression in 1995. Since then, I've been on a steady regimen of medication. The days after my medication was messed up, I committed some very, very bad crimes. Fortunately, no one was hurt, and I was arrested before I had wrecked my car or gotten into any more trouble. I was in that holding cell for approximately 26 hours. Uh, No clothing. I was completely naked, handcuffed behind my back. Um, Again, no food, no water. I had defecated myself. They would not listen to me. I raised my voice. I have a big mouth. I needed my medication. I told him I was diabetic. I told him I had a severe heart problem and just had a heart attack. Had stints in my heart. Um, I was dehydrated. I needed my mental health medication. And they just laughed and they said, well, that's not our problem yet. I remember several times um, during that, those hours in that holding cell that they would come in with SWAT gear and tackled me to the ground, even though I was naked and handcuffed behind my back. And then a nurse would follow them with a blood pressuring monitor machine and to take my blood pressure after four or five guys had just tackled me. I received a lot of injuries during those times. I do to muscular hematomas uh, to the back of my legs, bruises on my back, my arms. Um, I had some bruising on my neck. Um, The worst was my right leg, which had swollen nearly twice its size. I'm a victim of my own mental health. That's just what happened. But they exacerbated that problem by lack of training. They did not have the capacity. They did not have the knowledge to, to diagnose somebody. None of that was done. It was immediately thrust into that cell, and uh, the deprivation and the beating started.